We're speaking today with Pascal Husser of Pascal Husser Build and Design, a company that for the past 13 years has specialized in residential property improvements in Fulham, Chelsea, and Kensington. Pascal, we all know that undertaking a major home renovation is a complex process. What are some of the most important things for someone to consider when planning home improvements? Um, hi, Kate. Um, I, th- I think there's a, there's a tendency for people who've bought a house to get so carried away with wanting to sort of rush into doing works that they jump the gun slightly. You know, they wouldn't apply the same sort of principles in everything else that they do. But I think you need to almost sort of step back and actually take professional opinion. It's like you would have professional opinion on every aspect of your life outside, whether it's schooling, for education for your children, or sort of finances, or, you know, for savings and what have you. So that when it comes to your house, obviously there's an emotional attachment because you've made an offer on something you feel quite strongly about. Now, in terms of what is feasible, what is practical, and also, more importantly, you know, how do your plans sort of fit in within your budget, you then, I think, need to appoint either an architect, but somebody who knows the area well. There's no point appointing an architect who doesn't operate in the area because they'll be, they'll, they'll be running blind. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe group together... It's, it's, it's sometimes occasionally it's sort of like the chicken in the egg. So do you point the architect and get the design, then get the costings, or do you point a build and design? But you really need to know someone. Uh, when you group together your team of advisors, people who work in the area too, because mm-hmm. um, there are from a, a more aesthetic, more when you know we're dealing with sort of period properties, not all of them are listed, but you have to have sort of people who are sympathetic to your, to your needs. But also, you've got to have good listeners. You know, um, you know, you come across experts who will say, I think you should be doing this and that, but won't listen to the client. It's terribly, terribly important that actually the client sort of comes first in all of this, and to be very, very realistic about what things cost. Um. That's very helpful. Talk to me a little bit about how you can be very realistic about what things cost. You know, the whole tricky business of budgeting. How does that work? Well, it's once you've, you've listed out your shopping list, and a lot of people now want, as standard, is like underfloor heating throughout. Most properties, say if they were refurbished, say up until about 15 years ago, like, will probably need to be totally rewired and totally replumbed. Okay. So we have to look and you know. So you know, in doing that, you're you're gutting a house. You're stripping it back to almost back to sort of bare brick. But people want okay the underfloor heating. They want AV systems. They want sympathetic sort of like lighting design, which is terribly terribly key. They want uh, things like media rooms, wine storage, dedicated to like spaces where you know you have a utility room which isn't part of your kitchen. You know, in the olden days, I suppose sort of people had the washing machines sort of like oh, yeah. constantly on the on the go, whilst you're actually having supper. So, um, <laughs> and then also adequate sort of accommodation space for staff, referring sort of staff in the way of sort of like a nanny mm-hmm. or an au pair or 
or, or guest space. But one key thing about sort of London property in particular is that we all consider our home, and our home is actually our, our largest investment, one of our largest investments we're ever going to make. And the way that the property market is going is that by adding extra square footage, mm -hmm. we actually add a lot of value. Now, in a, a lot of houses are a bit snug for current living. So to extend either on the ground floor, we live very much close to our sort of garden space. So people tend to sort of plonk their kitchen towards the back of the house. And so we live towards the back of the house. So we, we, we cook, we eat, and we relax. We tend to relax in that, in that same space. By digging down, digging a basement, which is, as you know, hugely popular at the moment because houses have been extended into the loft. There's nowhere else to go. Mm -hmm. right? But by digging down your average, say, uh, build cost on a basement is typically about £400 a square foot. Now, I mean, you're getting a good basement for that. I mean, there's some people in certain areas will throw a lot more at it, but whether that's necessary or not. But if you if you compare that to the price per square foot, even in Fulham, which is, you know, comfortably a thousand pounds a square foot. So from a developer's sort of point of view, or an investor's point of view, you mean the sales view, price? Yeah. If you're buying yeah. if you're buying a house, actually, if anything, if you buy an unmodernised house, you'd be paying in excess of 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 a thousand pounds a square foot. Sometimes I've, I've you know maybe twelve, thirteen, fourteen hundred pounds a square foot. So when you add uh, but your resale of a refurbished house will not necessarily achieve £1,400. It. it might be somewhere between, currently, if you look at current markets, mm -hmm. will be between, say, £1,000 and £1,200 a square foot. So um, so looking at that, you, you stand to make 500, between £500 and £700, say, net, net profit on doing your basement. Yeah. yeah. Well, that sort of leads us nicely into the the, the whole area of planning permission because mm. I uh, I assume you can't just bring your your kit in and start <laughs> digging. Um, so talk us through what's involved right. in in gaining planning permission mm. and. Okay. Well, planning planning is is relatively straightforward because I mean there are clear guidelines across all. Um, shall we say, sort of boroughs, so whether it's sort of Kensington, Chelsea, you know, or Fulham, uh, it tends to be the size of your light wells at the front and your light well at the rear. But in terms of it, because planning, planning is all about external appearance. It, it has nothing to do with what is actually going on inside the fabric of the house, unless you're dealing with a listed building. Right? Okay. Then it doesn't become planning. It, you then have to deal with English heritage. It's slightly different, but for the majority, I'd say the vast majority of property across the area where we work, the consideration is one is to design something where you're not really sort of pushing the boundaries too much, um, because all it will do it will just delay the entire sort of process. But so you put in your planning application for your basement, but as part of the planning application, it needs to be supported by a, a structural package. A year ago, you could just sort of put in a, I'm not saying a simple set of drawings, but you, you'd submit your drawings and, your, and pay your application fee. But it does require 
small additional um, sort of fee charge. So you have to appoint a structural engineer. The structural engineer's package, initial package, should be sufficient to kickstart party wall. And party wall is the greatest delay in the whole process. Why? I think people uh, people are concerned about potential sort of damage to their property if you're underpinning a party wall, mm-hmm. um, the noise and the disruption. Um, I think, you know, I mean, from, from my perspective, because we do so many and we can see the value that we add to the property, I think um, neighbours fail to appreciate what a boost it can have on even on their property because it then raises the level the price of sort of property in that street so if you have and the trends are whether we like it or not the trend is actually moving towards more and more basements and they're springing up in areas and across streets that say two years ago you would never possibly have imagined you know they would they would do the cost of moving stamp duty Buying something when there's very little stock about means that a lot of clients are now re-evaluating where they are mm-hmm. and saying, okay, well, let's plow it back into our home. So, But the party wall sort of process is all about how amenable your neighbours are, not to the project, but it's actually amenable to someone actually to come into their house to do carry out a thing. It's called a schedule of condition. Now, a schedule of condition is when a surveyor goes around and he... he, he takes down uh, or makes thorough notes of the condition of your house. So if you have a crack on your stairwell and you've got cracks in your ceiling, it is there to actually protect both sides. It is there almost as much to protect the person actually carrying out the works against a fraudulent, I'm not saying it would be a fraudulent claim, but occasionally you have, you want to avoid the issue where someone is claiming for damage to their house when it was already there. Mm -hmm. So the schedule of condition then has to be sort of carried out and agreed between the party wall surveyors. The cost of the party wall surveyors has to be borne by the person doing the work. So your neighbour will may want to appoint their own surveyor. So the neighbours on both sides say if you're part of a terrace. So you have that additional sort of charge. Typically it's about a thousand a thousand pounds an award. So you would have uh, so if you were digging a basement, then I think the overall cost would be 4000 We've all heard the horror stories of projects that went horribly wrong. What are the best ways for someone who's considering a renovation to avoid the most common problems? From where I'm standing, I think yeah. they're, you know, I mean, those sort of problems are really sort of clear. They almost sort of hit you in the face before you see it. And you probably do get a sixth sense that if you're trying to be clever, it will go wrong. Uh, The important thing is to pick a contractor who has a proven track record, two, that you can actually see their work, speak to people with whom they have worked, so whether it's a client or architects. Mm -hmm. I think in a lot of our projects, we work with, with architects, so the architect is almost our client. So if you have a strong relationship with an architect... It's, you, you can become the sort of contractor of choice because there is a strong relationship there that, where you don't want to let them down. Mm-hmm. So, right. um, but I think the key, the key thing is to have someone that you feel they're going to be honest about, about cost and potential variations. And that's why I think some people do rush into 
a project without really uh, producing a full specification and detailed sort of breakdown of costs. If you were to pick, say, the cheapest, if you, if you put your project out to tender and you were to pick the cheapest, the cheapest won't necessarily be the best. And it won't necessarily mean the cheapest because the person who's priced it the cheapest will probably look for every opportunity to claw back the profit by way of variation. So they will use an excuse that the detail was lacking or they found something that suddenly because they're on site, it's very difficult for you to actually get a second opinion on and the cost of that. Um, with another thing which I think is, is shouldn't be overlooked is actually to, to appoint a cost consultant or a QS. I mean, there are sort of a number of QSs who sort of operate you know, in, in the residential sort of market, they tend to be for projects, say, of, say, 200,000 sort of pounds plus. Okay. Um, but typically the average sort of contract sum, if you want to point some sort of QS, would probably be north of half a million anyway. Mm-hmm. But they will take a fee of, I think it's, it's, it's between 3 and 5%. I think it's sort of it's like sliding scale, just sort of like the larger the, the contract sum becomes. But they will then administer the contract. So say you sign a JCT minor works contract with, mm-hmm. with the contractor. You agree a program. Every fortnight, that program and work on site and the value of work on site is overseen by the QS. The QS will then, as me as a contractor, I would prepare a valuation, which is, in layman's terms, is an invoice. And it's an invoice for the value of the work that we've done in that valuation period, which is typically two weeks. Mm -hmm. We issue that. It is certified by the QS. And then the QS will then instruct the client to pay. But on top of that, there is a retention, say uh, £10,000 for that valuation. There will be a 5% deduction, which is uh, Mm £500, which is... I'm not saying it's there to sort of as a dangling as a carrot, but you hold it back until the completion of the project, and then you release half of it at completion, and then the other half. So you would leave, release two and a half percent of the contract sum on on practical completion, mm-hmm. and the remaining two and a half percent is typically about six months at the end after completion of the project. So whereby you can actually request the contractor to come in and deal with certain snagging issues. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that they I mean, I think to have a snagging list is a little bit embarrassing. We'd like to sort of think that actually on all our projects, we never ever sort of have to face sort of like a list from our client to sort of like say, oh, look, you've overlooked this or you've overlooked that, or that could be done a little better. I think you know, it's all about sort of attention to, to detail. But I think... To go down the cost consultant route, you know, for the sake of like three or five percent, and this is someone who will administer it because they administer, although they don't administer the the quality of the work, although, um, well, because when we work with sort of cost consultants, they never sort of pick us up on the quality of our work, so that's never, never sort of come up, but they would look at the program, right? And if you've agreed a program with the client, say it's 25-week program, mm-hmm. and 
there are if they're genuine sort of overruns, right, then fair enough. But if if you felt that there hadn't been sufficient focus on the project, then you could actually claim it's called liquidated damages. Because you will be, you know, your house will be, you know, whilst the works are sort of going on, uninhabitable. Mm -hmm. So you need to pay, you know, rent for, you know, your accommodation elsewhere. Now, if you need to extend your rent because the house isn't completed, then you could claim back the cost of that rent from the contractor. So the cost consultant focused not only on the cost, but also on the timings. Oh, absolutely. But if there's a, if there's a, if there's an extra, say you uncover something, and sometimes with an old house you do, but with a competent, with a competent sort of contractor, we always, in our spreadsheet, we make all these sort of allowances anyway. Okay. But our spreadsheet doesn't mean that we draw down on something that doesn't exist. But it's there. We know it's almost like a contingency. It's a provisional sort of sum. But when there are, say an alteration in design because there's an additional request from the client, then between the cost consultant and the contractor, you can negotiate what that variation cost will be without somebody taking advantage. So he's there to ensure fair play. That's really helpful and interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you think is the single most important thing a client should do to ensure a successful renovation. I think the, well, the, 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 it's, it's like a timetable. It's about sort of plan. It, you know, it's being organised right from the word go. Okay. Is you, you can have a beauty parade with uh, you know communication is terribly important. Right. So talk to as many people. It doesn't do any harm <laughs> because the more people you you speak to about it, then the more you will understand the process, and then you'll understand maybe some of the problems that some people have faced and they'll give you recommendations of don't do this and don't do that and rather if I'd been in if I'd been in your shoes I would do it differently mm. so I would say um, we we're slightly sort of different in that we originate almost all our work so clients come to see us first and although we have a design sort of offering depending on the scale of the project I would recommend some architects. Now we have a relationship with two or three different sort of architects and I would recommend somebody I feel would be most suitable to the client. Now it's, it's, it's as much psychological as it is about sort of competence. You're, 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 you you form some very, very close friendship with sort of clients. You spend a lot of time together so you need to make sure that you can gel. As soon as you form that sort of level of trust, it's about trust. You know, reputation is terribly important. You know, so say the way that I've always sort of looked at my business is that to remain in business, uh, we have to do things. I'm not saying sort of better. You know, I mean, I don't want to come across as sort of being arrogant, but I think why not sort of have high standards of sort of expectation? But I'm here to to educate. I'm not here to just implement. You know, so where I can see that you know, elements of design or there's elements of sort of finish, you know, fixtures and what have you, if I feel that you know a client needs sort of education, I will hold their hand and I will guide them that way. And that's what you need. You know, you, you, if you can eliminate the project management, which is actually down to a competent builder, a QS, 
And maybe an architect, if an architect is going to be kept on on a full service, mm-hmm. particularly on a contracts north of a million pounds, I would, I would say it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a terribly important investment. And although it's like 10 or 12% of the contract sum, um, it's, you know, we all have our own work and lives, you know, and we don't need that unnecessary sort of distraction of actually sort of dealing with as much as we potentially like the idea of project managing you know we've got to sort of manage our resource accordingly so I think our clients you know they need to be available right and we need to be available so often we have meetings early in the morning in the evening or at weekends so and Obviously, with internet, you know, there's no excuse, and mobile phone, there's no excuse not to be in touch. Good. Pascal, you've been very generous with your time. Uh, We've learned a lot about (laughs) what goes into uh, major renovations in London, and uh, thank you for being on Tanager Talks. Thank you. Thank you, Kate.